Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, September the 12th, 2022, 7 a.m. here at the Mance in Spotswood, Virginia. And boy, is it foggy outside. Forget about seeing the mountain. I can barely see the, the fence of the pasture in the backyard here. It is a, uh, a very foggy day, but it looks like it's going to be a very nice week. Hope that you all had a wonderful weekend and that uh, the weekend found you worshiping yesterday with a group of believers in a Bible-believing church. Um, if you did not, well, then you can make that decision for this coming week. And that decision started yesterday. <laughs> it continues on today. But it is so good to be back with y'all this morning. We are just blazing through now in the gospel according to John here. We are really making some uh, some ground as we move through. The last time we were together, the last couple of days we were together, really, we looked at this sign that Jesus offered in John chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, it simply says, as he was going along, he saw a man born blind from birth. You see some interesting things here. Not only do you see the miracle where Jesus uh, spits on the dirt, makes mud, puts it on the man's eyes, says, go to the pool of Siloam and, and wash your eyes. And, the, and of course, the man did and he was healed. And I don't mean to just glaze over that like Jesus was giving somebody directions to uh you know, the blacksmith shop or something, serious business here, okay? A man born blind. Blindness was a great, great affliction, okay? And so most of the time when people were blind, they ended up being beggars, depending on when they went blind. But it's a double whammy because this man was born blind. The interesting thing that we find before this even is we find this little interchange between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples see the man and they say, hey, well, which one is it? Did he sin or did his parents sin? What's the source of this great suffering? And of course, Jesus points out the fact that the answer is no. Again, Jesus is, is comfortable doing that. Sometimes people ask him questions. Is it this or is it this? And his answer is no. Right. Instead, verse three, uh, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus went on to talk about doing the works of God while he is still there with them. But Jesus reveals a very powerful truth that not all suffering that we face is a result of consequences from our sin or necessarily the result of consequences from someone else's sin. Now, all of that being said, there is still the overarching theological truth that all pain comes from sin, right? That we live in a fallen world. All sickness ultimately comes from sin. And no, I'm not saying that if you get sick in one way or another, it's because you committed this sin over here. It's not what I mean. We live in the reality of a fallen world. But Jesus brings up the point, the fact that oftentimes in our lives, God brings affliction. He brings suffering. Sometimes he does that to get hold of us, to draw us back to himself. Sometimes he does that so that our faith will be strengthened. You know, God, knowing the entire course of our lives and everything that will ever come to pass, it could be that God is preparing you for something. A greater test of faith in the future, where now he's teaching you to trust in him so that you will be ready when that time of testing comes. God works all of these things. And he works all of these things because he loves us, because he cares for us. And his greatest desire for us is that we would love and care for him. 
Y'all, look, it comes down to this. We are all, if, if you belong to Christ, of course, you are in the midst of a work called sanctification. Right? That's a fancy term for this idea that you are in the midst. If you know Jesus, you are in the midst of dying to yourself and living more and more unto him, being changed. We're all in that. If, if all those that belong to Christ are being changed so that we will be more and more like Christ. Why? Because, y'all, the very best thing that God can do for you and me is make us like him. Do you realize that? That's the very best thing that God can do for us. And isn't it indicative? Doesn't it show us love that God doesn't just leave us alone in our current state? That instead, God's still working on me. You remember that song you might have learned as a child? God's still working on me. God's still working on you. And he's doing so to make you more and more unto his likeness. And what a gift that is. You know, this whole idea of I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay is not, uh, that, that's, a, that's a statement told by people who are liars. Because if you really know yourself, you know that you're not okay. And the only way you could come to that conclusion is, you, is if you are comfortable being a hypocrite, if you're comfortable being a sinner. We all need work. None of us are perfect. And God is working to that end. But for those who are hypocrites, they won't see it. Hypocrisy always brings bolstered up pride and blindness. It's got to produce pride if you're a hypocrite. Um, you've got to justify what you're doing, despite the fact that you know it's wrong. So you got to be prideful. And that gives you a false sense of self-confidence. And the end result is you just miss it. You miss how the Lord is working. For an example of that, we will see the Pharisees today and how they respond to this miraculous sign. But let's pray first and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for your word for all of its teachings, for the glory of what you are doing in the world around us, yes, but in our individual lives. Those of us who know and love you, you are making us like yourself. Oh, Father, what a grand gift this is that you don't just leave us alone, but instead you work in our hearts. You draw us to yourself. And as a result of the power of your spirit, the beauty of your word, we die to ourselves and we live unto Christ. So help us to see Christ. Help us to catch what the Pharisees so clearly missed and who your son is and what we are called to do, namely to trust, to believe. Now, as we go to your word, we pray that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are picking up today in verse 13 of John chapter 9. So if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, John 9, 13 is where we are picking up. And it says this. Now, this is right after, okay, this is right after Jesus made the mud, put it on the man's eyes, sent him to Siloam to wash, right? Um, and, and you find this interesting little interchange where the man goes and does this, and he washed and he came home seeing, according to verse 7. And then verses 8 through 12, the, the man goes home and people are like, hey, is that the dude born blind? No, nah, that's not him. He looks like him, but it's not him. And the guy's like, guys, it, 
it's me. You know, <laughs> I am the man. And they ask him, okay, well, who did this? Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Verse 12, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. And so look at what happens next. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, why do they bring him to the Pharisees? Don't read into this too much, right? Because there's all sorts of implications that people make here. They brought him to the Pharisees because the Pharisees were considered to be the experts. Okay. They were the experts in the law. They were the experts in the teaching of the law. This had taken place on the Sabbath, right? Intentionally by our Lord. This is why Jesus did this on the Sabbath. But they took him to the Pharisees. That's not an uncommon thing. All right. They were the leaders of the synagogue after all. And this incredible thing happened. So verse 14. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. False. Time out. What are they talking about here? How could it possibly break the Sabbath? Well, y'all, again, you have the scripture. All right, which details what it means to keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy as the commandment states, right? But we know that by this point, the Pharisees had been rolling for centuries, been adding to the law, creating all these new laws to put right in there with the Bible. And it doesn't matter what their motivation was originally. None of that matters. What, it, what matters is, is that adding to God's word is just as terrible as taking away from it. Okay, they're opposite sides of the same coin. You know, sometimes it's much more obvious to us when we hear about people that take away from the Bible when they say, oh, well, you know, you don't really need to worry about the fact that the Bible says fill in the blank. Guys, it's no better for somebody to say, yes, we need to pay attention when the Bible says fill in the blank. And because of that, we're going to add all these other things to it that are going to be rules that just make sure that we don't fill in the blank right there. Same thing. Taking away adding to same thing so the pharisees have added all of these laws to the bible not really to the bible it's to a document called the mishnah right it's a it's the teachings of the pharisees concerning the law but they've added all these rules and requirements and when you read about some of these things that they did for the sabbath you find out number one how ridiculous they are and number two you start to see a pattern of loopholes being exposed right? They eventually came up with some arbitrary number of the amount of steps that you could walk on the Sabbath, right? Because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they said, well, really, that means you can't take long walks. So, um, you know, you can only walk X amount of steps. Well, then the Pharisees figured out, well, that's going to be a problem. So they said, well, really, it's about not leaving your house. So if you take an article from your house and you leave it at that, I, I don't know the number of steps. I should have looked that up, but let's say it's a thousand steps. If you take a, a chair or a fork or a vase from your house or a lamp and you set it down, well, then you can walk another thousand steps. Guys, it's just it's loopholes, right? It shows that they don't care about the spirit of the law. They're just trying to find ways to get around it. And they came up with all of these things, one of which had to do with cultivating the soil. Right. They said on the Sabbath, you should not cultivate the soil. And they would be right on that. 
You shouldn't be out plowing your garden, right? You shouldn't be out working the fields on the Sabbath. But eventually that turns into you're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Because if you spit on the Sabbath, it might hit some dirt. And then that dirt, once it gets spit on it, would turn into mud and you'd be guilty of cultivating the soil. You know, this is where you get, you know, the trombone thing. Really? Do you really think that's what God meant when he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? That you better not accidentally turn dirt into mud or purposefully turn dirt into mud. It's crazy, y'all. But that is what they had devolved into, because you see, that's what legalism does. Legalism builds on itself. And it turns you into a son or daughter of hell. And, and this that's not what today is about. And we're not going to focus on this today. But legalism is a destroyer. It destroys joy. It destroys testimony. It destroys really following God's word. And it does nothing but turn us into hypocrites. That's what's going on here. They're saying, this man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. They missed it. They were so focused on their man-made rules, those things that they added to the Scripture, that they totally missed the fact that this man that was born blind, right? And we know the disciples' opinion of that. Hey, somebody that has it this bad, either he sinned or his parents sinned. Somebody's got to be paying for something if this is going on here. No, (laughs) Jesus corrects that. But nevertheless, that's the disciples go to. You know, it's going to be the same for the Pharisees. And they're so wrapped up in their little man-made rules. They don't even see it. They don't even see it. Or at least most of them don't see it. We find out in verse 16, or excuse me. Yeah, the, the second part of verse 16. But others ask, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Hmm. Good question. You know, the the first group says, hey, this man can't be from God because he breaks the Sabbath. And then the second group, they do start to see it. And they're like, well, wait a second. So if he can't be from God, then how is he doing these signs? And even the fact that they recognize these things as signs is important. Remember, the value of the sign is not so much the sign itself. It's what the sign points to. And they're asking the question, what does it mean? that he can do this. And it simply concludes by saying, um, again, at the end of verse 16, it says, so they were divided. Verse 17, finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Hmm. Interesting. Now, we need to be careful here that we don't draw conclusions too quickly about the man. We know that his interaction with Jesus is very, very limited. That Jesus has done these things for the man, the man has been healed, yet we have no other interaction between he and Jesus. So the man's first go-to is, he's got to be a prophet. And remember, y'all, prophets were highly, well, I said they were highly esteemed and thought they were highly esteemed. Usually they they ended up being killed, persecuted, that sort of thing, because people love the idea of a prophet, someone coming, representing God to bring about change on God's behalf but they usually ended up hating the prophets because the prophets pointed out their sin and told them what was wrong with what's going on. That's that whole business about Jesus looking at Jerusalem and saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets, you who kill the ones sent to you by God. 
But this man calls Jesus a prophet. In the limited knowledge that he has, he recognizes that Jesus is something different, that he's not just a regular man. He, he's a prophet. He's one sent that represents God. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus is going to come back and, and, and meet with this man. The man doesn't know he's God's son yet. He will know, and he will believe. But at this point, he doesn't. But even this is a miracle, y'all. You know, Jesus had already been building a reputation up to this point. Everybody knew the Pharisees were out to get him. And the fact that this man born blind, when he's asking, what about you? What do you think? The fact that he confesses he is a prophet. This is a miracle, y'all. This is serious business that he's willing to do this. And look at what happens. Now, again, they've just talked to the man that this happened to. The man who was actually healed. In verse 18, the Jews did still not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. <laughs> it must be a hoax. Can't be real. It's almost like what happened when the man went back to his hometown. They're like, is this him? Nah, it just looks like him. And the guy's like, it's me, guys. Same thing is going here. Verse 19, so they must go and get the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And then we see something very sad here. Something really, really sad. You don't see it in the, in the man that was born blind. You see boldness from him proclaiming that Jesus is a prophet. But from his parents, verse 20, we know he is our son, parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, before you go saying, well, his parents don't know. What's wrong with that? Mm -mm. We figure out the inside track. Listen to verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Y'all, in some ways, it's this man's parents that are the saddest people in this whole passage. It's terrible. Don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the worst to be a Pharisee, right? To be one of these hypocrites, to be one of these sons of hell that are making more sons of hell, these whitewashed tombstones. That's the worst. I'm not talking about the worst. I'm talking about the saddest. We know from what we just read that they knew exactly who healed their son. They knew it was Jesus, and they had the opportunity to testify to Jesus. Yet what did they do? Refusing to testify, they said, ask our son. Ask him. He's of age. Not only does this show that they missed the opportunity to testify to who Jesus really was, it shows that they missed who Jesus really was or were too afraid to confess. It doesn't matter which one. They're, it doesn't matter both horrible, right? But it also shows in their cowardice and their fear, they had the opportunity to support their son. And what do they do? They throw him under the bus. And it may not be the first time. Do you remember where we began with this man? He was by himself, wasn't he? Nevertheless, nevertheless, I don't want to read too much into the text, 
but his parents missed the golden opportunity, just like the man confessed Christ. Though he didn't know he was God's son yet, they had the opportunity to say, yeah, we know what happened. Jesus healed him. But they were too afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue, and, and we shouldn't take that lightly, right? Being thrown out of the synagogue was a very, very serious thing, okay? Um, the, the synagogue was the center of the community. It was the center of commerce. If you were thrown out of the synagogue, people weren't allowed to do business with you. It meant economic ruin, disaster. There were serious consequences to being thrown out of the synagogue. But y'all, there are greater consequences than these. Namely, the consequence of not being allowed into the kingdom of God and instead suffering for an eternity. His parents chose the temporary over the eternal. So with that, we're going to end today and we'll pick up tomorrow in verse 24. But as we end today, very clearly, people are missing it. They are missing it. They don't see Jesus. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus at work in your life and those situations that are unredeemable that he has gotten you through and those situations you didn't know how you'd handle them and you did? Do you see the opportunity also to testify to who Jesus is? And is there a synagogue that you're worried about being thrown out of if you do? You know, we don't have that paradigm so much anymore. But it could be your friends in life. You might be worried about what they'll say. It might be your family. It might be your church. They didn't really a church at all. If they're worried, if you're worried about proclaiming the truth of Christ in your church because it's something different than your pastor teaches, well, then you don't have a church and you don't have a pastor. But really and truly, y'all, we face different circumstances in this man born blind, but we also have opportunities like he had. Will you testify? Will you look for those opportunities? Or, like the Pharisees, like the man's parents, will you miss it? I pray that you will not. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this, the first day of the week as we come back to our daily devotionals or the first opportunity of the week to come back to these. I pray that you would be with us this week. Unlike the man's parents, unlike the Pharisees, help us to see the glory of Christ. And as a result, help us to testify to it. Father, we don't know what opportunities you're going to bring our way, but we know that the first opportunity starts with preaching the gospel to ourselves, recognizing our dependence on you. So please, again and again, draw us to yourself. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Monica, and there's Wayne. Wayne was with us yesterday at Old Providence. It was great having you, Wayne. And then there's Becky and Rose and Alice and Elizabeth and Becky again. And then there's Christine. Thank you all so much. And for those of you that will be joining us, I am so grateful that, that you are here and that we have this time together. Again, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7. Till then, have a great Monday.